hot. And we're off and running. Um, this is episode four, five, six, Delta. 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 No uh, relation to the airline. Right. I'm Jeb. <laughs> That's Dave. With us today is a very special guest, uh, a longtime friend and, and uh, uh, colleague and um, leader uh, of uh, in this industry, uh, Paula Dirks, uh, president of the Aircraft Electronics Association. Welcome, Paula. Thank you, and it's great to be here at Oshkosh. Yes, it is. Back for another turn in the barrel, aren't we? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it seems like the months keep getting shorter between AirVenture. I can't believe we're already back here again. I know. It's, it's, I remember a time when it was 12 months apart. Now it seems like it's only nine or yes, nine or eight or something. I don't know. Yeah, and with Sunday <clears throat> fun in between, it seems like the year gets faster every year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, summer goes by in a flash. Next thing you know, we're back at NBAA. And I know. When, where'd the year go? Yeah. That away. That away. <laughs> Look behind you. Um, Paul, as I say, is a, is a good friend of us, good friend of the podcast. Um, and Paula has some news that was recently announced uh, regarding her career and, and her future and, and AEA's future. Uh, she will be retiring uh, next spring. Um, yes. And uh, we wanted to sit down and kind of do an exit interview uh, and kind of get uh, kind of a feel for where and what you think the industry has been through over the last several years, several decades. Yes. Um, where you think it's going to be in, in a few more decades. And I'm going to let Dave ask the first question. Well, you and I had a little bit of a warm-up conversation earlier, but these people didn't get to hear it. So it, what's precipitated this decision for you to leave us so early? <laughs> Well, first of all, how long can this exit interview be? Because it's been almost 40 years that I have been in this industry and with the Aircraft Electronics Association. So this is my baby, and it's my passion. Um, Did you start when you were 15? I did, yes. I was was a baby when we first started. (laughs) Actually, my whole career, though, with the exception of just a couple of years, has been spent in the aviation industry with the AEA, right? Fresh out of college um, with my journalism and public relations degree in hand. I thought I was going to move to New York and work for some high-end magazine, and instead I started out as the managing editor of our monthly publication, Avionics News. And the rest is history. I discovered a wonderful industry, wonderful people. Um, To me, and I know I'm prejudiced because I've always dedicated my life to the general aviation industry, but I don't think you'll find a more passionate caring group of people than the people that make up the general aviation industry. So what better place to spend your career? Um, I think my decision to say, okay, it's time, is my husband and I still, even though I travel extensively with this job, we want to travel on our time and we want to see the world on our time. Um, We want to go back to some of our favorite places and we are about to become grandparents for the first time ever, which didn't happen to coincide with my retirement announcement, but it was an icing on the cake when we found out that our daughter is expecting a, our granddaughter. So that'll be perfect as well. We're, you know, I'm just as exciting as this is, and I mean that sincerely. This has been a great ride in the, especially in the world of avionics. And for your listeners who maybe don't know who AEA is. 
we are the trade association that represents the general aviation avionics manufacturers, distributors, instrument manufacturers, um, engineering folks, and also the government certified repair stations, most commonly known as avionics shops, in more than 40 countries around the world. Right, that's something I was explaining to uh, some folks I visited with earlier today. And they said, well, we're not from the United States, when I asked if they were AEA members. I said, well, you know it's an international organization just for the avionics people. And I was like, oh. Uh, so I uh, gave him my one copy of your magazine that I picked up earlier and talked to a guy named Rick, and, and he'll, he'll set you up. So I don't know if anything will come of that. Perfect. But it's we need to put you on the payroll as a recruiter, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you all are doing well, it seems like it works out that I'm doing okay, too. So. Absolutely. But it's, yes. it's, it surprised me over the years that the, uh, so many people in GA here in the States don't realize that you're an international organization. Right, exactly. I mean, for years, the, the association was organized in 1957. And obviously then it was a domestic organization, and it was quite a few years before Canadians, you know, our neighbors to the north started hearing about this organization that was formed to give the avionics shop owners a little bit more of a voice with the manufacturers. And so before too long, we had a few Canadian um, maintenance organizations join AEA, and then we started several years ago expanding into Europe, and now the rest is history. We you know, have regions in Latin America, South Pacific, uh, throughout the European continent, and um, starting now into Asia more and more. So, yeah, we are starting to grow, and that next generation of leadership and, and the amazing AEA staff will, I am confident, will take it into the next several decades. What do you think, what do you consider to be your, your looking back, the greatest achievement at AEA? Again, we're, you know, I'm trying to do a, a snapshot of the last 40 years. Um, I think one of the highlights would be the way that we have expanded internationally. Not only by bringing more avionics shops or repair stations from other countries and other manufacturers from other countries into the fold, but also getting to know the regulators around the world. Working with EASA, working with CASA, with the CAAs, um, with ANAC in Brazil, getting to know that at the end of the day, no matter what zip code you're in or what postal code or what where you know you call home, the industry has the same issues and challenges as well as opportunities. And and the regulators also share those same challenges and opportunities. So I pride myself and the AEA staff on trying to strengthen our relationship with the regulators, and I think we've done a good job of that. So that's definitely a highlight. Can you uh, give us any clue about the progress of uh, the search for your successor? The search is ongoing. Um, it actually just truly officially launched about mid-June. Uh, the announcement was made and put out in various AEA media um, avenues and um, I think a couple of other mm -hmm. aviation media sources picked it up. Um, basically the board of directors of AEA, let, let me back up, the association is governed by a board of directors. Those board of directors are made up out of our membership. So we have um, avionics shop representatives and we have manufacturing representatives and they um, work together to form a search committee 
and that search committee happens to be made up of past chairman of the board of directors. And when I applied for this job 22 years ago, that was the, the exact same protocol they used. They had a search committee made up of past chairman and started inter the interview process. And that's where they're at right now, just starting to set up interviews with some of the applicants, uh, people who have sent in resumes. Um, the, it is still open um, if, if there are people with, there's a very detailed job description on the AEA and, website. And, and I didn't bring a resume down. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late, Dave. <laughs> it's not too late. They, they truly, um, I think the search committee is searching for, or the search committee is hoping for um, a final interview process this October at our annual fall board of directors meeting so that the candidates will have final interviews before the full board of directors. And that's when the board of directors will Hopefully, if not at that time, by the end of the year, make a decision who the next AEA president will be. And that's why I wanted to give, you know, I made this announcement back during our convention in Las Vegas the end of this past March, because I wanted to give the association plenty of time, you know, a transition period for them to find the right person to, to lead the association from this point forward. Yeah, these are big decisions. And... and, and you're not only leaving big shoes to fill, but it's not exactly a position where you can find people under every rock that understand the business that you're in. So. Right. Yeah, it's a fine mixture between having a general knowledge of the general aviation industry, specifically the avionics industry, but also knowing association management. Because at the end of the day, that's what I do. That's what we do. We're, we're association management people. Sure. Um, that's what the organization is. And I, as I try to tell my board, I would no more go into an avionics shop and tell them how to install a piece of equipment or integrate it into an existing cockpit any more than they would come in and exactly. you know tell us how to do the job that we do to satisfy all of our members as well. You've also got you know a small business. You have personnel. You have accounting. You have all of the the standard functions of a business of your size, yes. as well as your, your exposure and representation of an industry segment, as well as uh, um, the representational aspects of a trade association. So, yeah, it's, right. it's, it can be a complicated uh, um, dance, yes. if you will, to, yes. to try to find somebody. You, you, you can always find somebody with some association background. You can always find somebody with an aviation background. But finding both of those in the same individual, the <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. Are you anticipating a clean break? You won't be like a chairman emeritus or president emeritus? I will, I will, as I told the board of directors, again, because I, you know, we've, I've built this association to yes. where it is. And so it, it's, it's, it will, I say it will be hard to walk away. We're actually looking forward to, obviously, our retirement and the things that we have planned. But it will be hard to, to walk out of the international headquarters office the last time. So as I told the board, I'm always a phone call away or can always step in if something's needed. But I have also sworn to the staff I will not be one of those people that cannot stay away. When it's time to go, it's time to go. And I'm a firm believer that everyone is replaceable. So we won't ever hear Paula tell somebody, well, we, I wouldn't do it that way. <laughs> no, I am going to try my hardest not to be that type of person. Th those because are I've the worst transitions. Happen. Absolutely. And that's why I don't want it to be that type of transition. I want it to be, you know, I want the new president to come in and hopefully take over the first of next year. And then I will 
leave after the Palm Springs convention the end of March, um, April timeframe, and it's time for that person to take on the reign of, of AEA. Is there anything that you have not accomplished that you wished? Are there any regrets? Are there? Is there a, uh, the one that got away kind of thing on your mind as you look toward the end of your tenure? You know, I'd like to say I was perfect in everything I did. We, we all were. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There will always be those, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to say I think there are more tiny regrets than any one big major regret. Um, the member that I couldn't keep, the member that, you know, didn't see the benefits so didn't pay their dues the next year. Um, the, the convention attendance that may be down due to economy. Um, those are the things that I regret because we always want to work the hardest we can to not just a numbers game saying we want this many members, company members at the end of the year. I really want those companies, like the one that you just helped recruit for us, I want them to know and understand the benefits of being a member of the AEA. And so that's always a challenge. And I always take it personally when someone feels like, well, it wasn't really for us or we didn't see the benefit. I want to almost take them by the hand and say, I want to show you the benefit. And it's oh, not... Oh, grab by the hair. Yeah, by the hair. And it's not just holding things in your hand like there's this, 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 and this. It's relationships. And that, like the three of us sitting here talking, having a conversation, it's that networking and, um, oh, I didn't know you offered that service. I've been looking for that service for my shop. And that can be done outside of the classroom or outside of the convention exhibit hall floor. It can be done in the hallway or at a social event afterwards. And so just trying to really um, educate and inform member companies of the benefit of belonging to AEA. And so for those that I didn't get or those that I didn't keep, that's probably my those small regrets that, you know, you wish you could how large a staff does it take to run the Aircraft Electronics Association? We are lean and mean. We have 10 full-time staff members. And then we have um, regulatory consultants. One's located in Australia. One is in Canada. Um, we have a whole um, stable of freelance writers that work for us, uh, Dave and Jim. <laughs> that um, obviously are retained and not full-time staff. But our full-time staff, we have 10 of us doing this job. That's, that includes that's a producing lot for a the magazine. People. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But everyone, thank goodness, if I, if I can, I'm going to brag about myself in a way that brags about my staff. I have been so lucky to, to be able to spot good talent and hire them. Um, have there been some that have come and gone? Of course, that happens in any company or any association. But this staff, I would put up against anyone's staff in any industry. They share the same passion I do, and they're extremely hardworking. And the nice thing is we all like each other. Now, we, we probably... that Yeah, I hope it does. Um, of course, you know, there are those that, you know, you can roll your eyes. They roll their eyes at me, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, we really do come together and come across as a team. And, and our members tell us that a lot, too, that... They can tell there's a genuine um, friendship and professionalism between us. So that is what I will brag about. My last question. Um, here we are sitting in, in the summer of 2018. Uh, the avionics industry looks so much different than it did, say, 30, 40 years ago. 
GPS, ADSB, satellite communication. Um, the integrated circuit is miniaturized, everything. What's next? What's going to be the next big thing for general aviation avionics? <clears throat> wow, well, I wish I could answer that for you, but as you know, as, as covering this industry for many years, the manufacturers keep their uh, technologies and innovations pretty close to the chest, but um, obviously, even with some of the technologies you mentioned, there's so much room for advancement in all of that. Connectivity uh, is a big one. Cabin entertainment systems, cabin management systems. Um, you know, yeah, we're right in the middle of ADSB. We we're actually working with the FAA right now, AEA, to survey shop capacity because I, you know, there's less than what 18 months left now before the January 1, 2020 mandate. And there's still a lot of aircraft to be equipped. <clears throat> so we are um, surveying not only our shops in the U.S., but also some of the ADSB avionics manufacturers saying, what are you seeing out there? What's your, what's your lead times? What's your backlogs? So that we can ensure that those that want to get equipped prior to the mandate will have the time and the shops will have the capacity. It's going to get tight. Right now, um, in the last three days, the responses I've received from our survey um, shops have an average of 3.8 months backlog. They're booked. 3.8? 3.8 yeah. months backlog. So, and the majority of them are not doing just a simple ADSB out, right. meet the mandate, install. While the aircraft owner has their shop in the, or their plane in the shop, they're saying, well, I'm at it, go ahead and add this, or let's upgrade that. Or they find out, oh, for a few couple thousand more, I can get that? Are you kidding? Okay, go ahead and do that. So those installs are taking a little bit longer. Um, so for you listeners who have not even started thinking about an install date for ADSB, you're at Oshkosh, hopefully, and you're walking around, go talk to a shop or talk to a manufacturer while you're here and get your install date on the books if you want to fly in ruled airspace on January 2nd. What do you see as the biggest challenge to the avionics, the general aviation avionics industry going forward the next five to ten years? Well, um, one of the new technologies that maybe doesn't deal directly with avionics, but let's look at the drone industry. You know, how do we fit the drone, the drone industry into our traditional airspace um, uh, what is the possibility for my members, the avionics manufacturers and shops, to play a part in the explosion of the drone uh, growth and, and that industry? Uh, is, there a, is there a place in the industry for, for my members? And I firmly believe there is. I'm not sure what that is exactly yet. Um, I think the other challenge is just for the regulators, whether it be the FAA or EASA or any of the other regulators, to keep up with the rules and regulations for both avionics and for the um, unmanned market as well. So I think I see those as challenges. Right now, business is good. Um, our avionics manufacturers are reporting increases in avionics sales over the last last year compared to this year. And in the first two quarters of 2018, sales are up. So the the industry is healthy, and it's about time. It's taken a long time to get there. It has. I, I, we commented. Uh, uh, among ourselves, uh, on the, I come on, among ourselves a few weeks ago on this. I always consider the general aviation industry to be the canary in the coal mine for the overall economy. Uh, it's one of the last to see the benefits right. and one of the first to see the downturn. Right. 
and here we are, an apparently sustained period of uh, growth, and uh, that canary hasn't started falling off the perch yet, so we have we have some time. Right, absolutely. That canary may be on an aircraft oxygen system. <laughs> <laughs> and a whole other podcast, but probably the other biggest challenge is finding enough pilots and enough technicians, both maintenance and avionics oh, that's technicians, a good, that's a good point. to fill yeah. the need. That point. could be a whole other, you know, long conversation. Yeah. And we should have that sometime. We should, yeah. yes, we'll absolutely. We'll do that before you're going. Well, this is... Uh, Your name again is... Uncontrolled yeah. Airspace <laughs> Episode 457 Delta. Six. Six Delta. Six Delta. I'm Dave. I'm Jab. We're out of here. And we've been talking to Paula Dirks, kind of the UCAP exit interview as she uh, prepares to uh, hand off the Aircraft Electronics Association to new management with the, with the same great team in place behind her. Thanks for your time, Paula. Thank you. Thank you, guys.